Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. Welcome to Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm along for the ride. I am Bob. How's it going, babe? Uh, I've got a wonderful drink in my hand. I've watched a Disney movie and I'm ready to talk about it. So it's pretty good. It's pretty much all the necessary criteria for what we're about to do. So great. Also, can we talk about bees? Is that a thing we can do? Why are we talking about bees? I mean, I love bees, but... I don't know. I I just thought they were pretty cool. Save the pollinators, man. Yeah. I am coming back fresh off a vacation. Feel rejuvenated. Ready to do this. And this time we do, in fact, have our list. So we will not, by default, have to just pick a movie. We will be going back to the old roulette wheel. Darn, we had to pick a new movie. I know. Woe is us. It was a tragic, tragic occurrence. The dogs are going nuts outside. Cool. Standard. It's it's the, what, the Twilight Bark, right? That's right. <laughs> Staying on brand. Let's get into some news. Now streaming on Disney+, Plus, we have Raya and the Last Dragon for free. It was, of course, available on Premiere Access before. Now it is free to watch. To all us plebs. Yes. You say us plebs, but we went and saw it in theaters. <laughs> well, we didn't get it on Disney+. Plus. That's true. That's true. Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Us Again, which was the short that played before Raya and the Last Dragon. It's really well cute. done. Yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Marvel Legends on Loki and the Tesseract. Which I watched today. That was good. Yeah. I mean, they're, clip they're show, reviews. but... <laughs> yeah, they're good right. reviews. They have, I don't remember exactly when this started, but they've got those launch pad shorts that have been dropping. I think there are a few of them out now, but they're made by little independent filmmakers. When you said that, I thought they were like launch pad McQuack shorts. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to break you, it to you. You got, you got my hopes up. <laughs> yeah. Not available for us to watch quite yet because we're recording this on Tuesday, but by the time this episode drops, of course, Loki will now be streaming. It's gonna be amazing! I know. I'm so mad. I'm a closer tomorrow. I'm not gonna get home until like 7 8 o'clock. Hey, if Disney wants to consider us press, I would gladly get the first two episodes ahead of time. Yeah, I will just do my due diligence. You know, I gotta watch it, gotta report it. Review it and understand it thoroughly. Yes. Multiple watches. It's the least I could do for the cause. Get it? Because it's the time variance. Watches. No. (laughs) This drink is really good. (laughs) You've just gotten started. Be careful. In other news, Turner and Hooch released their poster. It is basically a direct recreation of the original Tom Hanks poster, but with, of course, Josh Peck, who is starring in this one. It's cute. It's Mm. a poster. They have announced a original documentary called Wolfgang about Wolfgang Puck. And that drops on June 25th. I might watch that. I like Wolfgang Puck. Okay. And then this. This is my shit. I'm so excited. Behind the Attraction has been announced. This is exactly what I wanted to have on Disney+. Plus. It is a behind-the-scenes show that looks into the creation of different attractions in Disneyland and Disney World. Nice. Literally, when they announced Disney Plus, I was like, oh my god, please, so much behind-the-scenes park stuff. That's all I want. 
And it's narrated by my girl, Paget Brewster. I'm so excited. Oh, really? Nice. Yep. So is it like a day in the life of the Imagineers kind of thing on each ride or something like that? Or I think it's like an in-depth history of how they made each ride. Like their Ooh, creative process and stuff. Yeah. Nice. That drops on Friday, July 16th. And they're dropping all the episodes at once, which Ooh. they don't normally do. I foresee us going to my dad's place and us just binging all of these <laughs> in preparation of our next trip. As long as they're not trip. an hour each, sure. But the episodes they're going to do are Jungle Cruise, Haunted Mansion, Star Tours slash Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Tower of Terror slash the transition of the one in California becoming Mission Breakout, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Mm-hmm. A collective episode on the castles... One on the Disneyland Hotel, one on Space Mountain, It's a Small World, Trains, Trams, and Monorails, and then at the Hall of Presidents? <laughs> like, I get it's an incredible engineering feat having all of those audio animatronics up there, but I don't know that I need an hour about the Hall of Presidents. I don't know yeah. that I need more than five minutes about the Hall of Presidents. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to riff on that because I agree with you. I mean, who knows? Maybe it has some fascinating history that I just don't know yet, but I can't say that of that list, that's the one that I'm like, yeah! <laughs> but anyway, what you got for us in the Marvel Minute, Bob? Well, I've heard through the grapevine that there is this small, kind of lesser-known show that's going to be coming out this week. It's called Loki. I think so... I think because they're keeping it under wraps, everything's going to be so low-key that that's why they named it that. Um, My God, get out of sure. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Loki is about to hit. Our Norse God of Mischief. We're jumping back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe Disney Plus series, and my guess is that this is going to lead us both not only into the Multiverse of Madness, and give us a taste of multiverse travel. But I think it's also going to lead us right into Thor Love and Thunder. And I, I'm i ready to see where they take this character. Because this is not the Loki we lost in Endgame spoilers. Um, huh. <coughs> you okay there? I just ate the cherry. Mmm, <laughs> yummy. We'll get to it later. You keep going. Yep. So Loki that we like loved and, and came to love through all of his antics and or character growth, he is gone. So this is the Loki that left a prisoner at the end of the New York battle. So like he had no Thor 2 arc, he has no Infinity War, Thor Ragnarok, none of that growth has happened to this Loki. So I'm really excited to see where Tom Hiddleston takes this character on what is only going to be an amazing ride. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm like literally counting down the hours till I get off work tomorrow. Other news in Marvel, especially Disney Plus news, Oscar Isaac has posted a Moon Knight picture. If you haven't seen it, it is out there on the official Marvel Twitter and whatnot. It's him training. It's him getting ready for this role, and I think it's going to be amazing. If you don't know a lot about Moon Knight, he's a, a very complicated character. Actually, in some variations, has dissociative identity disorder, and um, yeah, it's a very unique superhero, sometimes breaking the fourth wall a la Deadpool. So if you like Deadpool, you might like this. Nice. And... I don't know if it's a rumor. I don't know if it's confirmed. I'm pretty sure it's confirmed, but Denai Guerrero Zakoye is getting her own series on Disney+. Plus. It's a spinoff of the Black Panther series that's going to focus on the Dora Milaje. So anything with them in it, I am down. I mean, especially after their Falcon Winter Soldier antics, as it were. Oh, yeah. I fucking can't wait for that show. I love all of them. And I don't know if this is confirmed, but there have been big, 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 big pushes about information leaking out about Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. And 
they have kind of affirmed that Namor uh, has been probably cast already, and I believe that he's from Narcos, but I will get more information next time and get some more solid information. So Atlantis could be coming to the MCU very soon. Do you know what the guy's name is? Tanakh Huerta. There you go. I'd be more excited, but I know nothing about that character, so... Uh, think Aquaman with wings on his feet. So you managed to make Aquaman more awkward and not cool? Yeah. Well, honestly, he's badass. From the surface, he looks weird because of the wings, but he is... Let's just say, if it means anything to you, he becomes part of the Illuminati in the comics, which is the top tier of all of the minds in the universe. So, he's something. Sure. I believe you. You know things. <laughs> all right. Let's get into Cruella and start with our drink. Oh, fuck. I didn't come up with a name for it. Um, hmm. Let's call it the Dalmatian Downfall, because mm. I'm going to drink too many of them, and that will most surely be my downfall. So what we have here is a martini glass, and I mixed some chocolate syrup. I used Ghirardelli because I don't really like Hershey's chocolate syrup. I know that's like the least American thing you can say, but I don't really like it. But I mixed that with some creme de cacao. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh-huh. You ate the cherry? I ate the cherry. <laughs> so I stirred those together and then drizzled that down the sides of the inside of the martini glass. And then I mixed together rum chata and vanilla milkshake. This one happened to be from Wawa. And just whatever concentrations of rum chata and milkshake you want, just mix that up, make them friendly, throw them in there. And then this kind of worked. I think in the future I would just try melting chocolates. But I took some of that magic shell syrup that you put on like ice cream that freezes I put that on a piece of foil and just dribbled it and made little dots and stuck it in the freezer. And that worked. But the downside is, as soon as it comes out of the freezer, it starts melting again. So I had to very, very, very quickly try to scrape them off and put them on the drink. But I set those on top, makes like a little spotted Dalmatian appearance. And then to garnish it, we have cherries, like sticking on the stir. But they're not just any cherries. They are cherries out of a bottle of chocolate cherry moonshine. So the actual moonshine itself is clear, but tastes like chocolate. It's fucking weird. It is amazing. It's really good. It's basically cherry cordial as moonshine, but it has actual cherries in there and they will fuck you up <laughs> because they have soaked up the moonshine. So when I gagged earlier and when Bob gagged just now, that was us eating the moonshine cherries. But I have to say in all confidence that this is my favorite drink I've ever made for this podcast. Taste-wise, I would agree with you. I like it a lot. And it looks classy, I will say. For what this movie was, looks are very important and you got two thumbs up from your loving hubby. I'm glad you say that because the look of it was also important to me. <laughs> so I'm glad you agree. So getting into our trivia for Quella, I don't have a whole lot. Oh, I um, missed... Hold on! I missed something! What'd you miss? You can put this into the Marvel Minute. Oh no, we're gonna make you live in your shame of forgetting it. What's your thing? For the Wednesday premiere of Loki, they've released a Loki Charms cereal. Oh yeah! A little Loki with the horns instead of Lucky from Lucky Charms. I really need to find a box. I want one so bad. Yeah, it's super fun. They're like tying it into the multiverse. Yeah. Something has happened in this particular universe and now we have Loki charms instead of Lucky Charms. Yep. Hey, any excuse to buy Lucky Charms? Oh darn. Uh, okay. Trivia. As you were saying. Huge props to the costume designer for this movie. They were all incredible. Her name is Jenny Beaven. And she created 277 costumes for the principal characters. 47 of those were for Cruella. She was also the costume designer for Mad Max Fury Road. And it was actually when the director saw her work in that, he was like, that's the person I need for Cruella. I mean, in reality, I didn't even put two and two together that, oh, wow, this is going to be a huge costume heavy. This is going to make or break her career if she nails it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, the whole time we were watching it, I was like, man, these are actually beautiful pieces. Yeah. This isn't just, oh, we're going to throw together something that looks outrageous and 
yeah. say that, you know, it's Cruella changing the world. That's couture. They are literally all beautiful works of art. Yeah, even the quote-unquote ugly ones yeah. are amazing. The other bit of trivia that I have is that Alfred Hitchcock's movie Lifeboat is playing in the hotel room when Estella is cleaning in there. And that movie stars Tallulah Bankhead. That was a nod to Tallulah, who was the animator's inspiration for the original Cruella character design. Hmm. Yep. Didn't know. Well done. Mm-hmm. All right. So getting into the movie, we start with literally seeing Cruella get born. And the song playing at the beginning is Bloody Well Right by Supertramp. And I was like, all right, I'm in. You've got me. <laughs> you start out with Super Tramp, and you've instantly got me on board. So what you're saying is we have an origin story on our hands. Yes. So the baby, whose name is actually Estella, is born with black and white hair. So the iconic Cruella black and white hair, that's how she was born. And for you Gen Zs, it is a center part for you. Yep, yep, yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> So, like I said, her name is Estella, but when kind of the nastier, cattier side of her would come out, her mom would tell her, don't be a Cruella. Yes. And that's where that name came from. As she grows up, she gets in a lot of fights in school, and she befriends a puppy that she found in the dumpster. Like you do. Like you do. Oh, God, what's his name? Was it Buddy? Yes. Buddy. I had a dog named Buddy. I don't know why I couldn't remember that. And this dog looks extremely like the Grinch dog, too. Yeah, he did. Um, he's actually the dog from Beauty and the Beast, I think. Oh. I think I read that in the trivia. And also in school, she meets her friend, Anita Darling. Hmm, that sounds familiar. She gets called into the principal's office for the five billionth time, and she's about to be expelled. And before he can say it, her mom's like, I would draw her from the school. You can't expel her. I would draw her. Expe- uh, uh, oh, uh, I said it. No, I said she's expelled. So they pack up all their things and they head off for London. Something I liked about that whole scene before we move on. He's, instead of like check marks or X's, he's using a blotter and making spots on mm-hmm. her record. So you're already, from almost get-go of her story, you're already getting that the spots on the white paper are part of her and her character. I loved that little detail. Yeah, there's a couple different times in the movie where... Just convenient dots seem to show up around her, which is a nice touch. Yeah. So on their way to London, her mom's like, hey, we got to make a quick stop at this huge mansion. Give me a second. And her mom actually hands her their family heirloom necklace and is like, hold on to this for me. I'm going to go in and talk to this person. Just stay in the car, please and thank you. And clearly there is this huge get together going on. Yeah, big gala happening. And in that gala is Mark Strong, famous English bad guy from everything. Sinestro, if you did actually watch the Green Lantern movie, also among many other movies. <laughs> I was gonna say, of all the Mark Strong roles, you went for Green Lantern. I really liked his Sinestro, I'm just saying. <laughs> so I wrote down in my notes, Mark Strong is definitely the baby daddy. I thought the same thought. Yeah, so pretty much everything in this scene is indicating, okay, this dude is Estella's long-lost sperm donor father who's not a part of their lives. They're trying to get some money from him to kind of restart anew. And if you know Mark Strong, he always has, or for the most part, has a shaved head. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to go into the fact that maybe he has bleached white hair or something like that, and and that's why he keeps a bald head or something. We get there. Yeah. While Estella's sitting in the car, she sees a huge fashion icon walk by, and she's like, I have to see her up close. So she takes Buddy, and they sneak into the party. Buddy gets loose and gets chased by some rich bitches Dalmatians, is what I wrote. (laughs) Uh, Three random Dalmatians at the party. Estella and Buddy run out back where her mother is talking to the lady of the house. Estella hides behind some bushes with Buddy. The Dalmatians keep running past them and they crash into her mom and push her mom off the balcony and into the rocky water below. She is dead. Yeah, dead, dead, dead. Like, it was the cleanest knock off a cliff I've ever seen. Yeah. I also don't understand how the dog would have stopped had it actually done that, but whatevs. I think the dogs hit her a little bit lower, so, like, her body flipped over the Mm. railing, but they were right at the level of the railing, if I remember correctly. While we're on kind of the subject, I will say that 
all of the dog acting that happened in this movie was amazing. Now, that being said, most of the Dalmatian action stuff is very CG looking. Yeah, but I think even, especially considering, I don't think this movie had the world's highest budget. No, probably not. I think that a lot of the dog CGI was actually pretty impressive. There were a couple moments where I was like, was that real? Which usually for animals, I don't do. Yeah, no, it, it was a good questionable, but you could still see it. Yeah. I wasn't trying to call it out. I was just denoting when I'm talking about the animal acting. I'm right, right, right. You're not mean. talking about the CGI. No, not the CGI. <laughs> so Estella sees her mom tumble over the cliff and she's like, okay, great. I've got my mom killed. And now these crazy Dalmatians are after us. She grabs Buddy and they run for it. In the scramble, they drop the necklace and she leaps into the back of a truck that's full of furniture and knocks herself out on impact. But the truck very conveniently is going to London. So she and Buddy jump out. What's the name of the fountain? There's a fountain she wanted to see at London. And as the truck drove by, she was like, this is where I'm going to get out. Regent's Park. That's what she was saying. Regent's Park. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. In the park, Roger and Anita meet for the first time in the original movie. Yeah. So yeah, it's a place from the original 101 Dalmatians. I did not put that together. Hmm. Um, FYI, a little other extra trivia. The Englefield House and Gardens, located near Reading in Berkshire, is the actual location of Hellman House, or Hellman... Hall. Hall. Hellman Hall. They did add some CG and some different things to make it look more grand and whatnot. But yeah, that house actually exists. Nice. Anyway, back on track. Regent's <laughs> Park. That's where she gets off the track. Yeah. So she falls asleep at the fountain, wakes up the next morning. And then and... she had friends and Monica and Chandler and they all showed up in the fountain. Not those ones, but she did get new friends. That's true. Horace and Jasper are there begging for money and running cons. The police show up and they run from the police to their hideout in an abandoned building. And she follows after them. I found it very interesting that Buddy was able to keep up with her when they were climbing the side of the abandoned building. <laughs> Buddy is a super dog, okay? I'm not saying he wasn't able to do it. I'm just saying it was amazing that he was able to do it. Yes. But Jasper is kind of impressed by her gumption, so he invites her to join their gang. Plus, he figures it's helpful to have a girl around because people don't suspect girls. Mm -hmm. She'd be a good distraction. So she dyes her hair red and becomes a con artist. And their dogs help with the cons. Not only do they have Buddy, but Horace and Jasper have a chihuahua with an eye patch named Wink. Which is the fucking best. I loved Wink. Wink is amazing. Mm -hmm. Estella designs all of the disguises that they use for their cons. So she's like getting spiritual fulfillment doing what she wants to do, even though she's being a con artist. And just her default look, so very mod, mod squad, late 60s. She, she nails that look. Mm-hmm. So Jasper is a very good friend, and he sneaks a fake approved application for the Liberty Department store for Estella into the accepted pile and gets her a job at this really elite department store that she's wanted to work at so badly. Oh, by the way, he mentions to her that if anyone asks how she knows Prince Charles, just say it was a polo thing. That's right. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. I, I Just say it was a polo thing. So then... We get this really cool shot that's largely CG, but also not of the camera going over the building, through the skylight, down through the lobby, like in amongst all of the shops, and then down into the back tunnels where all the employees work. And it like snakes all throughout the building and then eventually settles on Cruella scrubbing floors. So she- Yes, excuse me, Estella. That's an important distinction. So she has a job, but she is not doing anything involving design or selling. She is scrubbing floors. Yeah, she's not even doing alterations. She's, yeah. Yeah. She keeps asking her boss to give her a glimpse of the non-cleaning life. You know, she's like, you need seamstresses for your alterations department. I could do that. And he keeps shooting her down. When she's going to take out the trash at one point, the bag splits open and dumps all over her. And as that's happening, she gets locked out of the back door. Not that it wasn't part of her friend's fault that they distracted her. Yeah. 
that Horace and Jasper did distract her a little bit. But they, they brought, brought her lunch, lunch which yeah. was super sweet. So she walks around to the front of the building, but she literally has like a piece of half-eaten banana stuck to her face. She's covered in grossness. So now she's in trouble for looking like shit out in front of this really elite store. Right. Not to mention, she's probably not supposed to come through the front. Probably not supposed to be seen. Oh, by the way, you're covered in trash. Right. So her boss makes her clean his office until it is spotless, which means well into the night. And while she's doing that, she spitefully steals his scotch and drinks his scotch. (laughs) She drunkenly wanders through the store and decides to fix the hideous mannequin set up in the front window and passes out in the front window after completing her work. Yeah, she not only took the scotch, but she finished the scotch. (laughs) Yes, she did. So the next morning, she wakes up on the display. Her boss drags her out of there to fire her. But as he's dragging her away, someone runs up and tells him that the Baroness is coming. She's here. She's here. Baroness is the one who owns the store. And this is Emma Thompson's character. She shows up and sees the window display, which is very, like, street punky. Avant-garde. Avant-garde. Spray paint. Like, very, yeah, very punk. British punk, not American punk. Yes. And they kind of do that whole thing where she's like, who did the window out front? And he's like, oh my god, she's gonna burn this all to the ground. And then when he tells her that it's this girl that he's about to fire. Oh, she doesn't work here. Yeah. She then has her assistant hand Estella a card and says, you're hired. So she loved the window and now she wants Estella to come be one of her designers. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. Her first day at work, all the peons have to design, quote, a look. The Baroness hates everyone's but Estella's. She pulls out a straight razor and slashes at it a couple times. And in the process, nicks Estella. She's like, I'm going to cut off this piece and this piece. Now it's perfect. Yeah. And Estella's like, oh, hey, you like cut me. (laughs) And the Baroness doesn't care, but she holds up Estella's bleeding arm and is like, hey, find me fabric that's this color. Yeah. So she's a pretty choice human being. You're already getting that vibe. Oh, hey, your blood goes great with this green gown. Get me more in this color. By the way, Emma Thompson is a treasure. Oh, God, I love her. She's literally one of my favorite human beings. Her range. I mean, think about this role where she's the shittiest human you've ever met, but yet gloriously pulls it off. And then you look at Trelawney and Saving Mr. Banks and how many different things that she's done and the range that she is just afforded throughout all these characters. I love her so much. Ever since Sense and Sensibility, she's so good. Mm. The next scene, we have the Baroness intimidating some guys who want to give her notes on her store. It's a nice moment, but it's too much to break down here. But basically, she hands them their balls and they're like, okay, bye. And then we meet Roger, as in Roger from 101 Dalmatians, and he is her lawyer and kind of bumbling. He's a nice guy, but he's a little bit all over the place. Estella goes with her to a meeting, and they workshop a dress sketch together on the way, and we see Mark Strong there. So he's still involved with this building and this lady. My next note is, I'm so mad at Emma Stone for how cute she looks in cat eye glasses. (laughs) Yeah, as we've said several times, we don't generally talk about the movies that we're watching together, but both of us kind of like, dear God, how is she pulling them off so well? They were tortoiseshell cat eyeglasses, and they were so fucking cute. I wanted them very badly. So in the next scene, they're just talking in the Baroness's office, and the Baroness leans over her desk, and her necklace falls out from under her blouse, and the necklace is the necklace that she lost the night her mom died. That is supposed to be their family heirloom. Dun, dun, dun! Uh Uh-huh. So now Estella knows that her mom worked for the Baroness and realizes that the Baroness treated her mother like shit. Estella decides that she wants to steal the necklace back because she doesn't deserve to have it. Yeah, not only does she decide that, this becomes her sole focus for now. Yeah, it's all about getting that necklace. So she is now basically acting as the Baroness's personal assistant. While the Baroness is taking her power naps, Estella is casing the joint to figure out how they're going to steal this necklace. She meets a guy named Artie at a local shop, 
and she buys a very fancy dress there. Horace and Jasper sneak into the Baroness's house while she's having this big gala. They are dressed as pest control, and they dress Wink up like a giant rat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he also says that there are rats and raccoons and hybrids, and this is a hybrid. It's a raccoon rat the size of a dog. So Anita Darling is also at this gala as a reporter, because that is what she does. The party is a black and white party. Estella shows up in a white cloak and knocks over a tower of wine glasses. Then fucking Hunger Games burns away the cloak to reveal a bright red dress and her real black and white hair. Yeah. And she's got Amazing a masquerade reveal. mask on. So... She is not recognizable as Estella. She's just this cloaked figure, and then all of a sudden, this stunning red dress and this black and white hair. What I loved about this scene is, throughout them growing up, several different points, Horace and Jasper both separately used the flash paper for different things. And it set up the fact that she was going to use this flash paper as a cloak to hide herself on the way in. I was like, that was well set up. It didn't feel like, oh, by the way, we're going to use this as a thing soon. Yeah. It was really well planned, really well executed. So yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of little intricate things that you don't really think are going to be significant and then turn out to be significant later. And it was really cool seeing some of those pop up. After her big reveal, a bunch of security guys approach her. The security guys are responsible for getting anybody out of the way that's taking attention off of the Baroness. So they approach her, but she is nonchalantly beating the shit out of them with a cane. Yeah. (laughs) In a real slick way, doing her sleight of hand, and she swipes a key from one of them, flings it up to Horace with her cane. He's up on a top balcony. She flings this key up to him, and he uses it to break into the vault. Yeah. Her moves there are very Kingsman, very... Yeah. It was so slick and so well done. Boom. I was like, oh, that's very Kingsman. Yeah. So the Baroness is very intrigued by this woman's cojones, basically, and asks for her name. And she says her name is Cruella. We see Horace break into the vault. And just as he does, Estella sees that the Baroness is wearing the necklace. That she's trying to steal from the vault. That she's trying to steal. Right. (laughs) So no go on that. The Baroness is like, all right, you've intrigued me. Let's go chat. And they go sit on a chair and walks Jasper with a tray of food. And he lifts up the shiny little metal top for the tray and uncovers it. And the food is covered in rats. The Baroness jumps up and as soon as she does, without a second's hesitation, Estella snags the necklace and tosses it to Buddy, who is hiding under a nearby table. The Baroness sees Buddy with a necklace in his mouth and blows a dog whistle, and her Dalmatians immediately run after him. And Estella realizes that the Baroness actually sicked the dogs on her mother. Yeah, she had a complete, like, repressed memory moment and re-sees the actual image of the Baroness blowing the whistle when her mother died. Yep, her mother was actually speaking to the Baroness on the balcony the night that she died, and the Baroness murdered her. So a lot of craziness ensues. The group manages to slip out, but in all of the hullabaloo, a Dalmatian accidentally swallows the necklace. Uh, the name was Genghis. Yes, Genghis. Estella wants the boys to kidnap the Dalmatians for her so that she can get the necklace back. Then she goes to Anita to get Anita to write a story about Cruella. Wink goes into the dog groomers And is like, oh, hey, Dalmatians. And the Dalmatians are like, I'm gonna fucking kill that thing. I know that dog. He owes me money. (laughs) Wink runs out of the shop into the back of the guy's van and sneaks out through a little hole into the seats up front. (laughs) And the Dalmatians are stuck in the back of the van. Cruella goes back to Artie's shop and reveals that she and Estella are one and the same. She tells him she wants to make some trouble. And he's like, great, I love trouble. I should also, like, throw out as an aside, Artie is the character that they're like, we have a officially out gay character in a Disney movie that's got, like, a pretty pivotal role. But then, like, also, so was LeFou and Beauty and the Beast. And also, like, he's gay, but Disney still will not show two gay people kissing ever, ever, ever. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, it, it's... 
There's good and bad about it. I'm excited to see a gay character, but they... And he's super David Bowie looking and like... Yeah, he's very old school 80s, not 80s, like 60s glam. Yeah, 60s, 70s. Yeah. And like, I love the character, but you're right, like he's like third tier character. He's not super pivotal to the plot. Yeah, but I did like him a lot though. Yeah, no, I love the character. I wish there was more of him, honestly. Yeah. So Cruella has officially lured Artie into her little gang of people. By the way, with Artie, I love how he introduces himself. He's Artie, like as in a work of art. And like, I love the way he did that. It was beautiful. Yeah. After the party, Estella says to Mark Strong's character, who like up until this point, I thought he was her husband because he always plays some like really powerful British dude. But he's her servant. <laughs> like, he's just the head of her staff. He's just buttling. Yeah, he's a butler. But she says to him, hey, did you notice that girl's hair? And Purely he's very dismissive of it. He's like, no, no, no. It's totally coincidence. All the kids are doing that these days. It's not what you're thinking. And that's all we know. What are we thinking? Right. We have another gala happening. Cruella shows up and she's got the future, the words, the future, painted on her face. And surprise turns on these black lights and there's her name graffitied all over the building where this... Or projected across it or however they Or projected they did it. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. All over this building where the gala is happening. So she's kind of doing this flash mob kind of crashing of all of... The Baroness's, the Baroness's events. Yeah. At the next gala that's going on, Cruella has the guys, uh, what is, what's that called? The thing that they use to tie the door shut. They're not bungee because they're not stretchy, but they're the cords and you pump them. You're like, chick, 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 chick. oh, ratchet strap. Yeah. Ratchet strap. Thank you. Cruella has Horace and Jasper use a ratchet strap to seal the Baroness in her car. Yeah. Just throw it across around <laughs> And once she's locked in there, Cruella just strolls up, walks on top of the car, drapes a glorious dress over the window with a sign labeling the Baroness as the past. Yeah, literally covers the entire cab of the car. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and like she's got this soldier motif happening on the top portion of her dress and she's like striking this pose. It's so good. It's very tank girl of her. Yeah. The next day, the Baroness sees Estella sketching on her lunch break and has her security guys steal her book. She's like, what the fuck? Like, I'm on my lunch break. These are my own personal drawings. I was even out in the alley. Yeah. And the Baroness is like, I own that alley and I own you. Did you read your contract when you signed it? Anything you do is mine. Cool. Thanks for my signature piece because this is beautiful. At the next event, Jasper and Horace back a trash truck straight up to the red carpet dump out the bed of the trash out tumbles cruella and she's in what looks like a giant pile of trash but then she grabs onto the side of the truck and as the truck pulls away you realize that that huge pile of trash is all the train of the dress it becomes almost a hundred or 75 foot long train as they pull away and man it was a great reveal yeah, and they drive off with her dress billowing behind them, and she's just cackling maniacally, hanging off the back of the truck. It's pretty great. Yeah. So Estella is working on this signature piece and orders all these special beads and has to hand bead the entire piece for the Baroness. Like, literally every inch of this dress is covered in these gold beads. Well, at that point, Baroness is like, where are the beads? This was part of the design. And she's like, they're on their way. And Horace brought them in. Yes, he did. The Baroness, after the dress is completed, is like, this is a triumph. Let's go to lunch. When they're at the lunch, the Baroness toasts herself, and Estella is visibly offended, rightfully so. The Baroness is like, look, you can't care about anyone but yourself. Everyone else is just an obstacle in your way. I have no reason to toast anybody but myself right now. And Estella's like, okay, cool. I'm going to have a really fun time bringing you down. Oh, bitch. <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry. Later on, Jasper and Horace break into the workshop, but they don't take anything, and they purposefully wake up the guard, who is very hard to wake up. Jasper ends up having to pull one of his nose hairs yeah. to get the guy to wake up, because he wasn't waking up at any noise they That made. physically hurt me. Like, that, yeah, that... Bob was like, ah! <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> 
the guard wakes up, sees them, and then they immediately make their escape. Once the Baroness sees that there was an attempted break-in, she moves all of the dresses to the safe. Well, obvi, Cruella is going to try and fuck up that dress, apparently. That's right. Um, so she's got to put them where they're safe. Yep. <laughs> the next thing I've written is Jasper is getting tired of Cruella. Rightfully so, though. Yeah, she's running him and Horace into the ground, and they're like, we love you, you're like our family, but... You're treating us like dirt. Right. So next we go to the Baroness's show, her big show, we're revealing the whole line, and they open the vault, and moths come exploding out. A cloud of moths. Think of all of the cicadas that are out right now, but moths coming out of this safe. Dress was not covered in beads. They were covered in moth cocoons. And they ate not only that dress, but every other dress in the line. Yes, they did. And I physically clapped right then and there while watching the movie because that was fucking brilliant. Yeah, it was really good. Everybody goes fleeing from the Baroness's show because there's a swarm of moths. And oh, hey, Right outside is a concert slash fashion show for Cruella. Jasper is playing guitar, Artie is singing, and Cruella strolls out on the runway wearing a coat made from what looks like the Baroness's dogs. She is wearing a Dalmatian print coat. What? Yes. Not great. Cruella gets home after her triumphant show display, but Horace and Jasper are tied up. The Baroness is there with her security guys. Yeah, she noticed them when they were leaving the concert and the police broke it up. And so they followed Jasper and Horace home. Yeah, and she figures out, oh, hey, Estella and Cruella are the same person. Got it. Figured it out. Estella's wig is there. And she said she's going to kill Cruella and frame Horace and Jasper for her murder. Yep. And Cruella says, I'm going to kill you. And your dogs. And that's when we find out that the dogs are actually safe and sound. And they cut to one of the Baroness's security guys. And he's standing there with the dogs. So it was a fake coat. Yep. Because they have to make her a little bit sympathetic. (laughs) We're not going to touch the killing dogs thing in this movie. We'll save that for the sequel. That's right. The Baroness sets the building on fire and walks out with her dogs. Cruella falls over in her chair and Buddy and Wink try to untie her. And I was like, oh my God, so help me if I have to watch these dogs burn to death. I am not ready for that, Disney. I said to Kate at the one point, Buddy's tail got really close to the flames. And I was like, if that's a real flame, I'm very scared for these dogs. I was like, that one was CGI. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) As Estella is passing out, she sees a figure in the flames and then everything goes dark. So now the news is reporting that Cruella is dead, but then we see Estella wake up at Mark Strong's place. He has pulled her and her necklace from the fire. He twists the top of the necklace and reveals that there's a key hidden inside. Oh, he also bleached it thoroughly after it came out of a Dalmatian. Yes. He says that this key opens this box and he holds the box out to her and that box has her birth certificate in it. And in a twist that I did not see coming... The Baroness is her mother. Yep. I spent this entire movie thinking that Mark Strong was her father. Yep. Nope. He does a flashback, and throughout this entire movie, the Baroness has had jet black hair. And then we see that the Baron had ghost white hair. We find out that the Baroness was not happy when she found out she was pregnant. She did not want a baby. So when the baby was born, she ordered Mark Strong to take care of it. Quote unquote. Narcissism, people. Narcissism. Yeah. But he not being an evil bad guy. The other shocking twist, Mark Strong is actually the good guy in this movie. Yep. He instead hid her with one of the other servants. And this woman raised her. Yeah, he'd said he picked the nicest woman that he had ever met. And basically she was so selfless that she was willing to give up her job and go off with Estella. Yeah. You know, the exact opposite of her actual mother. Right. After this big revelation, she goes back to the fountain to kind of converse with her dead mom. That's like where she reconnects with her mom. I loved that she was actually having tea there. Yeah, that was cute. But basically, she's like, yeah, no, I get it now. I'm actually Cruella. 
I'm a bad person. Because I had a bad mother. Yeah, and I do love you, and I held Cruella back for your sake because I loved you, but now maybe it's Cruella's time to shine. I'm pretty sure I'm just gonna go burn all this shit to the ground. So Cruella takes the guy's truck and drives it to the police station to break them out. She just drives that thing right in the front door. (laughs) And Wink brings the boys a lockpick in the jail cell. In all of the confusion. And they, like, quick throw on some cop uniforms as they're walking and they just stroll out. Cruella manages to lose the cops. They have, like, a little mini chase scene. She loses them finds Horace and Jasper on the street and tries to recruit their help, but Jasper is all done with her bullshit at this point. She turns up the Estella side and calls them family, so they cave, because she's the only family they've had. They start this whole new big plan, which involves shipping out a ton of dresses with the note, please wear this in memory of Cruella, signed the Baroness. And it's not something out of the ordinary for the Baroness's shows, because she has asked people to wear all white for the one show and wear this for another show. And if you remember the one where she was actually a young child, they were all in very Victorian garb with wigs and all of that stuff. So, like, it's not unusual for the Baroness to ask unusual dress of all of her guests. Horace fixes up an old DeVille. Corolla's like, hey... I like that name. Yep. It's also the same car they used to get away after the, the prison break. And when they were in the car, we get a Jasper saying, do you even know how to drive? And that's where we get that whole Cruella crazy driver. She doesn't know how to drive. She's winging it. I loved the whole motif of bringing that part of Cruella back to the screen. Yeah. Baroness is getting ready for her party. And basically she's figured out that Cruella is not actually dead. The cop came to her and was like, by the way, we didn't find any bodies. And the Baroness was like, but they're reporting it. And the cop comes back to her with, well, maybe someone shouldn't have tipped them off before we investigated. Right. Guests start arriving for the party. She has put all of her security guards on high alert to look for Cruella. And every person who shows up to the party is wearing the same dress and a wig that makes them look exactly like Cruella. And like the first three or four guests get body slammed as soon as they step out of their cars. And not just body slammed, football tackled. Yeah. (laughs) On gravel, nonetheless. Yeah, it didn't look comfortable. No. The Baroness sees that literally every woman at this party is dressed like Cruella, and she is forced, essentially, to toast Cruella's memory at her own party. Which was just, like, the best little jab at her, saying earlier, I have no reason to toast anyone but myself. Ah, that was so good. That made me really happy. Yep. Cruella, while kind of snaking through the crowd pokes the Baroness with a hairpin on one arm, and while she does that, pickpockets the dog whistle off of her. What I liked about this scene is with her and Jasper's whole thing, their conversations up to this point are leading us to question, is Cruella just gonna run up and stab this girl in the throat? There was some tension building up to that. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed the drama that they were able to get out of this. Yeah, it was a very Hitchcockian kind of moment. Yeah. It was really well filmed. So Cruella blows the whistle and the Baroness releases the dogs and tells them to go get her. They run up to her. Cruella is standing on the same balcony her mom was standing on. Hold on. Before you get to this, you missed one little point and it's one of my favorite things that happens is that Horace has also arrived to this party dressed as one of the ladies that look like Cruella. Yes, he has. (laughs) And in doing so, the guys, Jasper and Horace, have funneled all of the, with the help of Mark Strong giving them a radio, funneled all of the security guys into one place, and then because he's dressed up, he's on the outside, and he slides a sword, locking them in and barricades that door. FYI, I skipped that because I've got like 10 minutes on my computer. Ah. I'm trying to fly through this. <laughs> you didn't tell me that part. The dogs run up to Cruella and Cruella tells them to sit and they obey. Cruella tells the Baroness that she is her daughter and the Baroness twists it around and is like, oh, that's why you're so awesome. I should have known you have to be my daughter. Let's join up and conquer the world together. 
You could have your own label. And meanwhile, Cruella's posse are telling all the guests to please gather outside. The Baroness would like you to be outside. So the Baroness apologizes to Cruella and is like, can I give you a hug? Cruella's like, yeah, don't push me off the cliff, please. The Baroness hugs her and then calls her an idiot and immediately shoves her off the cliff. Unbeknownst to the Baroness, Horace has also called the police and reported a robbery at this residence. So they're there to witness it too. So the police and the entire party watch the Baroness shove this red-headed girl. Because Cruella has also changed back into her Estelle look. I don't think I said that earlier. So she looks like this innocent little intern that just got shoved off a cliff. Yep. So how this happened? Pull back that curtain, baby. Estella has willed everything she owns to her dear friend, Cruella DeVille. After Estella was pushed over the edge, she pulled a cord and a parachute popped up and she just coasted on down to a boat below. And now everyone thinks Estella is dead and Cruella is very much alive. But darling, how would you change someone's will without them knowing? I didn't write down that part. It's because Roger was fired unceremoniously and basically Roger helped change the will. Ah. So Cruella inherits Hellman Hall because the Baroness is being imprisoned for murder and Estella is presumed dead. She changes the sign from Hellman Hall to Hell Hall. And oh, hey, Genghis the Dalmatian is looking pretty fat. Hmm. And I wrote, I bet her good friend Anita gets one of those puppies. And then there it is, post-credit scene. Anita gets a puppy named Perdita, and Roger is gifted a puppy named Pongo. Ha. <sighs> this movie has canonically made Pongo and Purdy litter mates. Why? Why incest puppies? Why? Um. There was literally no reason to do that. Just give Anita Perdita, and like that could be it. And Roger could get Pongo from a pound or wherever. Why? Why incest? I don't get it. Anyway. I don't think anyone thought of it. It's not that complicated. Anyway, that's how the movie ends. Final thoughts, Bob, because my battery is dying. I loved it. I have to say I absolutely loved it. And okay, my only big thought about the whole thing is I don't see how we're going to proceed from here if we're gonna have a sequel and make Cruella actually want to kill puppies. I don't think they'll go that far because she stops being fun. This movie worked because she was fun and once she starts really killing puppies it's not gonna be fun anymore. Yeah. And I think this movie worked so well because it wasn't a puppy killer origin story so much as it was a con movie. Right. It was a heist con movie. Yeah absolutely. And that was a really wise choice, I think. I do also have to give huge props to the music. Whoever decided to have Florence and the Machine do Cruella DeVille song during the end credits. Amazing, amazing choice. The whole soundtrack was oh, freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Chef's kiss. I mean, it wasn't original music, and that's fine. They did it well. The one thing that I wanted to say earlier, and I kind of mentioned this while we were watching the movie, her whole aesthetic from Estelle to Cruella, very reminiscent and inspired by, I have to say, she probably pulled from Michelle Pfeiffer's transformation in Batman Returns from to Catwoman. Um... Selena Kyle? Selena Kyle. Why can't I remember that? Yeah, Selena Kyle's transformation from her to Catwoman in the way that she looked, the, the, the way that her hair was kind of, not frumpy, but just kind of a glorified mess. But the, her whole look. Yeah, I didn't get that at first, but once you pointed it out, I definitely saw that. Yeah. But yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I think I have to say it's probably my favorite of any of the new Disney live action things. So like whether they're remaking an old one, like Beauty and the Beast or Lion King or the origin stories like Maleficent, this one is my favorite of all of them. I would agree, except I will say that I haven't seen Aladdin yet. And I've heard that it's better than it should be. Oh yeah, I haven't seen Aladdin either. But thus far, this one's my favorite. I would agree with that wholeheartedly because there have been things missing from some of the live action ones that I've been like, oh, why'd you change that? Why'd you? And and I get they're trying to do it a little bit different, but this one, 
And I know it's kind of an original story-ish, but it hit every note that I wanted. Yeah. Every musical choice was on point. The script was on point. The direction was gorgeous. Every single little detail and foreshadow and plot device was just on point. Yeah. And I know that there's kind of been some drama about redoing a lot of these Disney villain movies and... Not making them villains? Yeah, like almost overly sympathizing with them mm -hmm. and basically acting like a traumatic childhood excuses... Puppy killing? Yeah, evil behavior. And yeah. that's not true. Like, that's not great. But I think one thing I really appreciated about this movie was I didn't feel like it was like that. They go pretty far out of their way to explain that she is not a good person. I mean, they do kind of imply, I guess, that like she's evil because her mom is evil. She kind of leans into that, though. Right. She was a good person and fought to be a good person when she had a good role model. But once she didn't have that good angel on her shoulder, she right. was real quick to be like, okay, I guess I'm going to be evil now. Funk this shit, I'm out. Yep. Yeah, so I kind of liked that they made her a shitty person. And, like, Horace and Jasper are her only family, really, and she treats them like shit. Yeah. They walked a very fine line of having someone who's not a good person that you yeah. still sympathize for with a little bit and root for, but you mostly root for her because she's a shitty person and she's fun. Not because, oh, the world's done her so dirty... This is her great revenge. Like, this is her tackling her trauma. But yeah, basically, she's just a crappy person. Yeah. Who stops making the choice to be a good person. And I like that she was just a bad person. Yeah, I love that they didn't go out of their way to redeem her. I mean, it's no better than any of the crooks from your Ocean's Eleven. But like, it, it even lacks the nobility of some of that stuff of, oh, we're going to get this bad guy. I mean, we do have that with the Baroness. She gets her comeuppance, but she steals all her stuff. She takes over her manner. She basically does fraud in the fact that she redoes her will without her knowledge. Her motives are mostly self-centered. That's what I was going to say. She is very self-serving. Yeah, she's going on this revenge tirade, but also she's doing it because it's going to work out really well in her favor when she does. This is not about avenging her mother. This is about... I'm going to take out this bitch and I'm going to be on top. Yeah. And I think that is kind of that fine line that they walked and I think they nailed it. And it really sets up because Roger, yeah, he helped her in doing the will. Number one, he was screwed over so I could see him doing that. But number two, he has that insight to her. So him writing the song Cruella de Vil has a little more depth to it now. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, they do have, during the post credit scene, he sits down at the piano and starts writing the Cruella de Vil song. Yep. Which is a nice little touch. Yep. Alright, Bob. On a scale of one to five puppy eye patches. Oh. Um. Mm, I'm torn. But I, I think I'm gonna go with five. Whoa! Is this your first five? It is not no. my first five. But you did five for Little Mermaid. I did. And I think history will eventually agree with me. I think right now it's a very popular thing. People are going to like it and or hate it because it's Disney and it is what it is. It's one of these live action remakes. I think if people give it a fair chance, I think it is a quality piece of cinema. Yeah, I'm giving it a four and a half. This movie was pretty much exactly what I wanted from it. Yeah. And it was what I wanted but didn't think I would get. Yeah. And then I got it. <laughs> yeah. My, my expectations were very low. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a really pleasant surprise. I'm glad that we ended up having to watch it because I left my iPad at work. <laughs> but I have not left my iPad at work. So now it's time for me to roll for next week. See what we got. See, our number this time is 135. And if you enjoy listening to Kate roll ones, come on over to I Roll Die for a little help <laughs> my friends. Suck my dick. <laughs> oh, I don't feel excited about this. Uh-oh. Are we in a badger situation? I don't know. It's a Christmas thing. Uh, you know how I feel about Christmas episodes. I do. I do know. So it's called the Christmas Star. I don't even remember what this is. Hang tight. 
Gotta check what we're getting into here. A counterfeiter finds the true meaning of Christmas. Yep. Ed Asner. I mean, I do love Ed Asner. All right, here's the description for the Christmas star. Counterfeiter Horace McNichol escapes prison through his extraordinary likeness to St. Nick. The police are closing in, but Christmas is so near that there are Santas everywhere. McNichol is desperate to recover loot from an earlier caper, but can't make a move until he takes advantage of two neighborhood kids who really believe he is Santa. I'm facepalming so hard. A counterfeiter named McNichol? Yeah. Oi. Also, I really want them to not use the phrase, he takes advantage of two neighborhood kids. <laughs> yeah. That's not the best wording. There's some people I recognize here. Oh, Rene Abergenois. Yeah, he's the one that I was looking at. I don't see anybody else I know, though. Okay, well, here we go. All right, well, we're going to do the Christmas badger next. Remember how I rolled a one, but, like, also really, I think, rolled a one? Yeah, you you may, yeah. <laughs> Why do I always, I just should never, ever roll, ever. So we're going to have Christmas in June. Yep. So, uh, I guess, uh, join us in two weeks for our next film review adventure of The Christmas Star. In the meantime, like us on Facebook at Disney Plus Roulette Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Roulette. We are on Instagram and TikTok at Disney Roulette Pod. Or you can shoot us an email the old-fashioned way, Disney Roulette Podcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can donate at browsehousemedia.com or just drop a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. We really do appreciate it. It helps a lot. Yes, it does. I guess we'll see you then, guys. Have fun. I was born brilliant, born bad, and a little bit mad. <laughs>